Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Joining me on Keep Them Coming today is someone that I met online and I had a conversation with her recently. And after, you know, she was actually looking for podcast guests for herself and I realized this is someone I want to have on my show too. So joining me today is Gigi Sharon Kamer. She's a Kansas City native, Reiki master, meditation guide, and yoga teacher. And she spends her time pursuing her passions with the healing arts. She's continually learning and educating others through her podcast, which she'll tell you about in a moment, workshops, and just through connecting. She believes that an open mind is the key to understanding ourselves, each other, and the universe. I love that. So welcome to the show, Gigi. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kristen. I appreciate it. So I've definitely had some people on my show before that are yoga instructors, Reiki masters, things like that. But just tell me a little bit more about your focus because everyone seems to have their wheelhouse and what you say is beautiful. I love that. But give me some more specifics about what sort of clients you really love to work with. Yeah, sure. So um, I have been a Reiki master for a couple years now and a yoga teacher for the same amount of time. And I think my focus is really on the person who is not your, you know, Instagram type of practitioner. I like to make sure that everyone knows that yoga and Reiki are for everybody. Um, It's not for a specific person. It's not for the most flexible person. It's not for a person on a spiritual journey that only few can attain. So I really like to make my practice is accessible to everyone. And I think that there is space for everyone in these practices. And so that's who I really enjoy reaching out to and having conversations with. You make such a good point there that there's this perception amongst a lot of people that a lot of these things are just for a certain type of person, that influencer type person, someone who's maybe already achieved their goals. And it's sort of like a destination rather than just a part of a journey or just a part of everyone's life. So I'm, I'm glad that you put that that way. Yeah, I love that. I love the way that you said that. It's definitely the journey, right? It is um, all part of that. And I think that that's what makes the journey so exciting is that you can continually add things to it to make, you know, your destination kind of just a magical unknown thing that we don't really know what the destination is going to look like. We just are truly enjoying the journey. Yes. Oh, yes. How did you start down this path? What got you into this side of, of healing and spirituality. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing I get. And, um, and I do, I will say this, I just realized, I don't know that I've had a guest come on and actually explain what Reiki is. Yeah, sure. So I, I've practiced yoga for, I don't know, for 
15-ish years. Um, and in the beginning, when I was practicing yoga, it was more an exercise for me. It wasn't um, what it has become for me since. But um, during and on my path, I, I did a lot of different types of yoga. And um, seven years ago, I became pregnant with my son, Max. And I, my body was no longer mine. <laughs> is how it felt. And um, yoga, which I hadn't practiced in a while up until that point, was a way for me to kind of reconnect to my body on my own terms. And it was a way for me to find my physical space and to learn how to maneuver my changing body mm-hmm. um, and to find how to mentally connect with my body because I felt really detached from it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so then began sort of my deeper exploration of what does yoga mean, not only in the physical sense, but also how does it help me connect mentally? And then through that came the sort of spiritual connection. I don't want to make it sound like it's something that, um, again, it's, it is attainable for everyone. It doesn't have to be a spiritual practice. It's based in not that, um, which a lot of people fear yoga for that. And they think it's some sort of spiritual practice and it, it really isn't. It's just a way to connect. I mean, it can become that and it has Mm -hmm. for Mm me, but it doesn't have to be that for everyone. Yeah. Um, so through that journey, Mm -hmm. I found that, um, I was just going along with, how it made me feel and it felt great. And then once I had my son, Max, I stopped my practice Mm -hmm. and I became um, a mom full time. And that was really hard. And I needed a way to reconnect with myself personally. And I did it again through yoga and through that practice. And then through that journey is where I also found Reiki. Um, I met practitioners through that. And it was just because I realized I had become more open to understanding that the way that I had learned healing or um, spirituality or self-care was not necessarily the way that everyone had experienced it and practiced it. So I expanded my self-care into including things like energy work, which is Reiki. Um, So Reiki is essentially... Uh, universal energy. It's energy that's all around every single person, you know, every single object, everything has energy. And we know that scientifically, we understand that at a very basic level. Mm-hmm. So what like Reiki, with magnetic fields or things like that, we get it, right? Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it's what Reiki does as a practice, or what I do as a Reiki facilitator is we work to kind of move because we have blocks sometimes um, with our energy. If we're feeling like a little bit of there's something that we need to speak our truth or say something to our boss or like ask for a raise and we're having trouble finding the words and things. So that could be kind of something that's blocking our intention, right? So what Reiki can do to help is kind of facilitate that flow of energy, kind of help you to focus. And just like all things, really having a, um, 
someone else tell you what you need to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's, it's true with all things. And so that's sort of Reiki is like, let that just go and facilitate the movement um, of energy through your body and allowing it to, and also to find those blocks, right? Because that's another thing is sometimes we don't even know we're blocked until someone's like, hey, have you had a hard time talking to your mom recently? Like maybe it's a good idea to just let it go. So yeah, that's kind of the journey. That's a little bit of what Reiki is. And now I've, you know, taking it into my practice and seeing clients and being able to just discuss with them their practice and their their goals and intentions is really powerful for me too. I feel like I learn just as much, if not more, from the people that I work with. And that's really such a cool like I have the best job. That's really neat. I love it. <laughs> yeah. When did you start working with people like, as a, a business? I mean, because learning and understanding this about yourself is one thing, but getting into the entrepreneurial space is another. So tell me a little bit about that journey too. Yeah, for sure. So that was a little bit of a leap for me um, because I'm more of the the learner brain. Like I love to learn all of the things and I really like the practice of doing it and getting it from that to business and seeing clients. And also I had a lot of imposter syndrome, right? Like when all of it starts, you know, where you're just like, am I really the person for this? You oh know, yeah. I about, had that too. Totally. Yeah. And it's insane, but it's, um, it's kind of just a step. And I feel like I almost feel like if you don't have that, you're not at the right, this jumping off point, right? <laughs> yeah. You're shaking right? your head. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's one thing to be overconfident. It's another thing to have a healthy dose of, I don't want to say criticism, but just try to make sure you're based in reality. You know, like, Absolutely. am I, am I really going to make, the, yeah, I, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's less about, you know, it's more people are fearful of whether or not they'll succeed. And, and yes, it's based, then we take it further back, but well, why wouldn't I succeed? Well, it's because I'm new to this or why would people take my expertise or yeah. there's so many other people out there that do this. Why would they choose me over them? And mm-hmm. then it's a whole spiral. Yeah. So, yeah. That imposter syndrome is a very real thing that a lot of entrepreneurs have to overcome for sure. Absolutely. And I think that was probably one of my biggest hurdles because it was easy, like you say, to say, well, you know, there, I know at least a dozen people who are doing this and they're doing it well and so good. And so I kind of had to go back and decide, well, if a hundred different people that I know are doing this and they're doing it well, where's my, my place? What's my space? Mm -hmm. What am I bringing to this then that's different? Because if nothing, then why? Um, And so I decided that because of that, that space where I just am continually learning and growing and I knew that, or, and I know that I will never learn everything. And I, what I know about Reiki and how I practice Reiki is completely different than, you know, my teacher. And also I see another facilitator. And I think that that's really powerful too. Just like you don't want to learn, you know, one subject from one teacher. You have many teachers who teach you in different styles or in different ways, and you learn something Mm -hmm. different from each person. Then I had to come at that from that space where, 
regardless of whether or not there are 12 different people that I know that are teaching this, I am coming from a new space, right? Yep. And what I have to offer is unique in its own way. And there might be someone out there who connects in the way that I do to this practice that they may not connect with another teacher. And so that was my my goal and my intention when I started. So moving it into the business, what I kind of did was <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big believer in listening to the universe and manifestation. Um, those are yes. just really big things for me. Um, and that kind of came also with all of the yoga and stuff and meditation. But so what I did was I'm just going to start small, right? I'm just going to connect with people, talk to my teacher, talk to other people who I, who are friends of mine that, go to yoga, meditate, have Reiki facilitators, um, and just kind of start talking. And once those conversations started and they kind of listened to what people were looking for or whether or not it was accessible to them for one reason or another, um, then I started to kind of formulate my plan and decide how did I want to kind of get out there. And I think the biggest thing for me again was creating accessibility for those people who didn't believe that Reiki or yoga was for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's how I kind of jumped into it. And, and by doing that and putting it out there, I really started with, you know, a group of girlfriends and was like, Hey, let's do just mom's day yoga and meditate and um, go outside somewhere. And, and do it outside. And so we just did. And we started. And then from that, people started calling me saying like, hey, do you need a place to practice yoga? I have a space for rent. Or, um, hey, do you think that you could come and do a group Reiki session with my clients? Absolutely. And so that's um, really, it, it organically kind of started that way. It was less of me like having a business plan and setting things down than just kind of waiting, watching, listening mm-hmm. and, and letting it come to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I went, I was tired of a job and realized I needed to change. So I did do the business route or, you know, the business plan route, mm-hmm. getting the mentor and doing all of the things, but even then <laughs> I had the imposter syndrome. I mean, because yeah. it, it boils down more to the topic that you're going to be mm-hmm. handling or discussing or whatever. It's less about the skill. It's less or the skill as, as far as like managing your books and marketing and stuff like that. Those are all important components, but I think the real imposter syndrome comes from who am I to be the teacher of this topic? Who's That's going to exactly want right. this information from me? Yes. So I'm glad that we've both worked through that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah. recognize that usually it is the lifetime learners who are out there trying to then share the information that they've learned because yeah. it is so powerful and they wish like, gosh, I wish I'd learned this sooner. Everybody needs to know this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's why too, with my podcast that I started, it came from that space where I realized there was so much, again, 
I am a lifelong learner. I love learning. I was in education, like in a physical school building 10 years prior to doing all of this work. And I just love learning. And I think with my mm -hmm. podcast, I wanted a space where there's so much information and, and sharing that information, not only like, am I learning during that time and exploring new things, but mm -hmm. I get to share that with people and have a space where we all come together and say, we are not experts. We are just facilitators of this information and we will share what we know because we love it and we have passion for it. And that was really important to me. That was mm -hmm. really important for me to be able to share that with people. Awesome. I love fellow lifelong learners. Yes. Thank you. And then teachers and coaches, you know, people who are out there trying to make the world a better place in their own way. Absolutely. Yeah. So part of why I had you on the show today is because I've been wanting to have someone on my show to talk about the power of touch. There's a topic out there that's really hot right now, and that's sensate focus. And I've mentioned a few times on my show, but I really want someone else that's got a good connection with like body uh, to have this conversation with. Yeah. Right now, there's a lot of couples out there, both my clients and just things that I see on some of the groups and forums that I'm on that are talking about how even though people are like at home together constantly with their partners, <laughs> they are feeling touch deprived. And then of course, there's lots of people out there who are pretty much on their own these days and they would just do anything for a hug or a cuddle or a kiss <laughs> right now from anyone, but yeah. the world is what it is during COVID. I want to like, first let's again, for the listeners, talk a little bit about what Sensate Focus really is. I describe Sensate Focus to my clients most basically as a practice that enables you to let everything that's whirling around in your head go while you're trying to be intimate. I completely agree with you. I think that that is um, what I've gathered from reading about Sensate Focus is truly that the words, it explains it in the words. You're focusing mm -hmm. on the sensation and connecting with your body, giving and receiving, which I think is important, but truly, like you said, is being present in the moment. Um, really just releasing and relaxing into where you are in your space mm -hmm. um, sort of being, it's really about being mindful of yourself and inside, but also with the sensation of the touch because you have both things going on and it is, you know, to truly be in touch with your physicality Mm -hmm. And being mindful of your body. And that's a big thing. You know, when you, when you first asked talking about, about touch, um, I think touch goes hand in hand, no pun intended with, <laughs> with being aware of yourself and your mm -hmm. space and your body, but also of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for example, with yoga as a teacher of yoga, it's really important for me to understand how others view touch, mm -hmm. um, because it is a very, um, intimate practice. 
and it can be viewed in so many different ways, but it's also can be very traumatic for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach yoga to um, some KCPD officers and we have, that's an interesting touch dynamic because if I want to adjust them or, you know, just gently guide their body, like just move their leg a little bit forward or something for them being touched by someone that they don't really know is really jarring. Mm -hmm. Um, because in just their, their profession, it's really hard to have that touch from someone. Right. Um, same with Um, I went to a trauma sensitive yoga training Mm -hmm. and we talked a lot about um, the difference between, you know, even with women and men or how that feels on our body in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, Touching a woman on an arm, for instance, to help move might be a feeling of grabbing someone or something like that. I mean, and that's not gender specific. That's truly just grabbing someone, you know, and just feeling that way. Yeah. The body remembers, Um, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just with touch and remembering, like you say, that it also feels good, Mm -hmm. right? Like bringing ourselves back to that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Since eight focus is something a lot of people are talking about as remedies or treatments or ways to work around things like erectile dysfunction, uh, even help with low libido, whether you're male or female, that it can help trauma survivors as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, people who had very detached, uh, attachment styles with their parents, uh, then it can lead to issues down the road with attachment styles with their partners. So sensate focus is something that's really coming in to focus in our industry and the things that it takes, I think, to, to get into it and to understand how it works are so high level, like conceptual. Like when we started off defining what is sensate focus, people were probably listening going like, okay, okay, but how? Mm -hmm. So that's where you come in as someone who understands this practice of making a connection between what you're doing in your mind and how it can play out in your body. So again, we know what it is, but how do we do these things? So what are some of the things that kind of come to mind for you as you know, someone who's, who has been feeling disconnected, whether that's in their solo masturbation practice or it is with a partner? Again, someone who's listening going like, okay, yeah, but now how? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? So I think a big part of Sensate Focus is getting your mind out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sensate focus is, even though the word focus is in there, truly it's about sensation. It's about touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to get out of that headspace, you have to really decide that that's what you're going to do. And so meditation is really good for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, meditation is what I always tell people to try to start with before they even worry about trying to get into sensate focus. Absolutely. And that is what I would recommend for step. Like there are a lot of beginner meditations are guided meditations. Mm-hmm. They are 
you know, 10 minutes or less. So if you're worried about being able to sit still and also, you know, that's another discussion for another day, but meditation doesn't have to be that by the way. Right. <laughs> um, but for just taking that 10 minutes, do a guided meditation. And what that means is there are several meditations on bringing awareness to your body, basically like a check-in. And what generally that sounds like is, you know, they'll have you, or I would have you, you know, find a comfortable seated position. And then you're just kind of becoming aware of your body. Like if you're on the floor, what parts of your body are touching the ground? Where are your hands? Is the room hot? Is it cold? Do you feel your breath coming in cold and releasing warm? So it's really just taking in how is your body reacting to the environment around you? What is it experiencing around you? Absolutely. And it has nothing to do at that point with touch, right? It's Mm -hmm. just about learning how to like, you know, and I also say, drop your shoulders back and down. Half the time we don't know that we're even shrugging our shoulders until someone tells you to just release that tension in your chest. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Relax your jaw stop scrunching your forehead. We don't even know. We're not even aware. That's how disconnected we are sometimes from our bodies is we don't have the awareness that, you know, and I also say like, release your, your butt, release your thighs. Cause we don't realize yes. we're always like clenching. And so we clench your pelvic floor we, first. Yeah. Yes. And we have hip issues all the time because we're so tense down in, you know, in our root chakra, like holding all of that in there. Um, So truly just learning how to bring attention to from the crown down to the soles of your feet, you know, unclench your toe, are your toes clenched? Just let them go. Mm -hmm. Um, Are your palms sweating from experiencing something new? And, and I am such an advocate for really starting with that meditation first, even in just a regular meditation practice. And doing it for, you know, a couple weeks, a couple of times a week. And it's something that you can do laying in your bed with your headphones in before you fall asleep. Yes. And, you know, and it's just really taking the time to start, you know, to feel inside of your body. And when we do that, it takes our mind completely off of a to-do list, Mm -hmm. a worry at work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what am I going to cook for dinner tomorrow? All of that goes away because you are really, you're physically taking your mind into each part of your body. And that is where your thought follows, right? It's like, Oh, how is my head feeling right now? And so you no longer think like, Oh, I have to add eggs to the grocery list. Yep. And that is super important. And that's a really good practice to just start this journey of sensate focus. Mm -hmm. Really just starting to understand where your body lies in comparison to, you know, if you have a partner in bed with you and you're doing this meditation, you can also feel like, oh, my right side is a little warm because he sleeps on that side or she. Um, And really just kind of learning how your body takes up space. Mm-hmm. like physically and, you know, within. So it's, it's an interesting, it's a really good way to start your practice that way. Yes. That's exactly where I recommend clients start. And they are often skeptical at first about, you know, the, the whole letting thoughts go, is this really mm-hmm. going to help me let all this 
racing mind go in the moment. Mm -hmm. But the good news is your brain is designed to really only think about one thing at once. Mm -hmm. While we think we multitask, when you are multitasking, you're actually only thinking about one thing at a time. They're just coming in rapid succession. Correct. So yes. yes, it absolutely will work because your brain just cannot think about anything else when you are going, how, how does the back of my neck feel? I do need to drop my shoulders. I'm a little yes. tense there. I need to maybe get a massage. Okay. How's the middle uh -huh. of my back doing? And you work your way down. Yes. It's, it is that practice that I'm like checking in with your body and just what is going on around you with everything mm -hmm. is the first step towards being able to apply that in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even if you're not, um, so I, I do a lot of like meditation and journaling together because I mm -hmm. think that that's also really important because I like, need to I do more we, of that. I really learn do. in different ways. Well, <laughs> I have a workshop coming up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, I think it's really important too, if you, so my partner, my husband, he's, um, it, it is very very difficult for that man to sit for more than two, three minutes at a time, right? Like he can't, he can't do it. Physically, he cannot. And so for him to put an action to a meditation is the only way that he can physically and mentally work through it. So he does a lot of like the journaling for, with the meditation. And so mm -hmm. his meditation for that might look something like writing down I'm feeling in my head right now that my, my, the back of my head is really tense and the front of my head feels like it's in the clouds. And so he can write through it. Um, mm -hmm. So I also recommend that if you have trouble um, allowing yourself that time to just kind of sit, but then that's also part of the practice, right? It's part of the sensei focus is saying like, oh my gosh, I can't sit here for five minutes and enjoy this because I have to, I have something else to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you just start at that place where like, how can I do this for five minutes? Well, maybe it's through writing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's by doing that. So then you start doing that. Maybe it's just by initially bringing the touch in. Usually, you know, what, at least what I'm reading through sensei focus and also what I kind of advise is a meditation facilitator is bring touch in later because mm -hmm. first yes. you just want to get the headspace right. But if it's, if it's more powerful and impactful to you to move during a meditation, then just put your hands on your head so it can bring the focus to your head and just say, I feel my hands on my head, put your hands on your forehead. I feel my hands on my forehead. And that's just kind of a gradual progression too, of how to bring in the sensate focus into meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was reading these articles, I was really um, pleasantly surprised. I'm always so pleasantly surprised at how all of these different universes connect with one another because I'm reading this article about, you know, sex therapy and I'm thinking, this is meditation. This is yeah. all this is. It's just in a different way. And it's, and I love when people put it in different words, because then it becomes more accessible to yes. so many other people. Yes. I love it. I love it when accessibility is shown to people. It's like, everybody's doing it. You're just putting it in a different word, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, sorry. You just got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> With the pandemic and everyone is not operating how they normally would. Again, 
couples are either together all the time and maybe not being very intentional <laughs> with their time together. And then you've got the singles out there feeling the effects of being more alone than they had been physically and, and emotionally. For those out there that are listening that cannot get out there and, and be in another partner's space, but are thinking about some of the ways that they previously have let kind of life and the to-do list and all this stuff get in their way of actually enjoying their time with a partner, right now is the best time in the world to start practicing some of these things on your own. Yes. And be ready when the world does open up and you are ready to get out there and you can date better. You can have better sex. If you are getting that partner situation, this is totally applicable for you because you can just start doing these things right now. So let's get into talking more about what I think is sort of the next space, which is learning to examine touch and that sensation, all those sensations that can come with it in a different way. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've talked to clients about is how, how many times has your partner touched you in a way that was like, okay, or just like not really like what you were looking for. In fact, it might be an erotic turnoff. And then there's partners out there who are just so numb. They just aren't even really physically in their bodies. Well, so that those people out there that are listening, this is for you. Now, again, the next step with getting into touch can be an awkward one for some people, especially with that first thing that I brought up, that maybe your partner has not been touchy in the way that is an erotic turn on for you. Um, or your partner's doing their best, but you're just out of your body. So let's talk about those folks first. Yeah, so I think... So part of knowing that, well, let me speak for, for myself, right? Um, I think part of me knowing how I don't like to be touched is knowing how I do like to be touched. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes um, with my partner or with myself, what I find is I have to figure out how I like to be touched in order to explain that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, just saying, you know, I I don't like to be touched that way, but not knowing the way that I do is really, is really the root of the issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's always changing, right? Yes. Always changing. And that's part of acceptance as well. Um, you are singing my song right now because literally <laughs> what you just said is what I have told clients so often that your body is constantly changing and it is not about fighting it. It is about that constant acceptance of this is my present. This is where I am. Now, there could be things you can change or do something about, but on the whole, it's more about that acceptance of this is the evolution of my, my body. Mm -hmm. Totally. And to go with that, the, the sensations you enjoyed 20 years ago may not be the same mm -hmm. sensations, touch, um, exploration, whatever you want to call it. It's not the same. Um, if you would have told me 20 years ago that just like having my arm next to my partner in my bed while I read a book was going to give me the touch I needed to take me through a week, I would have laughed so hard. I cried like I, you know, <laughs> but it is what, 
I need and that has changed and evolved in a different way or the frequency which I need intimate time with my partner is also changed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that's a big part of getting to know why you're not excited about the touch from your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it's space, right? It's personal space. If my partner and I haven't held hands in a long time, it's really hard for me to accept physical, um, like a a come on from him to be like, Hey, let's jump in bed real quick. And I'm like, Oh yeah, well, why don't we just hold hands for a little bit? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And that, and being open and explaining, like, that's what I need right now is also part of sensate focus because you have to know what you need and how you need it in order to know what feels good. Yes. Um, And that's always changing and being able to, to shut off and go in and understand that is, is really important and having to do that practice over and again. Yes. A lot of times I find for clients who have been really struggling in this area, when I ask them, okay, tell me about your masturbation practice. They're like, mm, I don't. And I'm like, not shocked, <laughs> right? not shocked Yeah, because basis of what we're talking about is often found through that self-love practice, through masturbation, mm-hmm. through touching your body and figuring out like, Oh, that felt good. And I didn't used to like get a little kick out of that there right. or an area wants a different kind of sensation. Maybe it used to like a real light sensation. And now it needs like a little scratch or mm-hmm. something rougher, whatever. But mm-hmm. yes, it's best discovered through self-time through self-pleasure, masturbation, things like that. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting that you say that too is (laughs) I keep going back to thinking through this conversation, which is interesting, but um, my kids, right? Like they're now seven and five and they touch me, right? So they, how they touch me and where they touch me also has changed my intimate relationship with those spaces on my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my son, Max, like he loves to rub my belly and just be like, I love your belly. Cause my belly has gotten really lovey these last mm-hmm. few years. Right. It's very full of love there. And so he always touches my belly and he's just like, I love your belly. And at first that drove me insane. It was crazy. It was like, I really don't want you to touch my belly because it had changed and it was Mm -hmm. different. And it wasn't to me a place where I really wanted anyone to touch. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, I don't want him to see me have a reaction to my physical, the way I look physically or the way I feel physically to don't touch me because I don't feel right in my skin. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. And so as that sort of started to shift and like, he will just like pat my belly and be like, I love your love. Cause that's what we call it. We call it love. Right. Uh-huh. Um, I and love that. yeah, it's, it's, we've really grown in our love over COVID where it's like, my belly has a lot of love. <laughs> that's a great way to frame it. Absolutely. Great way to frame it. I love that for kids, yeah. for, especially for children. I, yeah. I worked at a, a 
weight loss company for a long time. And believe mm-hmm. me, a lot of adults carry around a lot of baggage based on the way that their parents talked about their own bodies, not yeah. even the way the parents said anything about their children's bodies. It was, and I had this too, that I had to work through a lot of things that my mother did not give herself permission to wear certain things. So then I thought I didn't have that permission. She didn't give herself the allowance to have things, or she was very critical of herself and her eating habits that I developed that. So mm-hmm. the way you talk about your body and framing things that way is so important. So Thank good you. job. Good job, mama. Thanks. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it's, and also I think just talking about bodies in general um, and not making them these um, foreign things that we can't discuss with mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. um, is really important. And we, I mean, we have great funny stories and that should also be another show for another day, <laughs> like really funny stuff that your kids say about your body. But Oh my God. I think I should do like a montage show. I've never done that where I just like, I want like a, the funniest story about bodies from all of my guests that have children. Cause you all, it's the, the, the people that are very matter of factual with their kids about everything have the best stories. It's so funny. And it's, it's so good because it's like, it's hilarious, but it's also just, I think I'm doing something right. <laughs> like when so my daughter, Luna, and I were, um, I was getting out of the shower, I think, and she was in the bath, like going to the bathroom in the bathroom. And I stepped out of the shower and I was drying off and she was in there and she was like, mom, you have such a big vagina. Like, well, I have a big vagina one day. <laughs> I, I lost it. Like I lost it. And I was like, thank you. Like, I <laughs> obviously those two things are, do not mean the same thing to us. Right. And so I was like, thank you. And yes, you will. And I, you know, got out and I was getting dressed and my husband came in and I said, oh, did you know that I had a big vagina? Because <laughs> I have a big vagina. <laughs> and he just, we were both like so tickled and still to this day, like my favorite story about my vagina is that story. I love it. Uh, Yeah. It's really, it's so funny, but sorry, I digress. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you're talking about like reconnecting with your body in a different way because seeing that perception of it from someone else's, you know, eyes. And I mean, and just like that too, is like learning to, um, with kids, for instance, like learning how your body is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's always changing and it's always, um, it's always going to be something different to someone else mm-hmm. than it is to you, you yeah. know, it, and what really shines through, I find that the, in the intimate times that are, that I feel best and confident with my partner. And I feel like he is touching me the way that I want him to is when I am confident with myself mm-hmm. at that time. And I think that that has to do with me also shutting off because part of that sensate focus too, is not only shutting off your to-do list and whatnot, but it's also shutting out what society expects our bodies to look like, what society Mm -hmm. expects from us during intimate times. Yeah. Um, and getting all of that garbage out of your head and just saying what feels right to me right now. Amen. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, there's so much junk that can get stored up there. Like you, you brought up stomach and that's something that a lot of men and women struggle with is how they feel without their shirt on. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've had a lot of weight fluctuations in my life. I have like extra skin, little cellulite, stretch marks. I did struggle for a long time with that body acceptance until honestly this partner that I'm with because much like your son is like, I love your love. He loves my stomach as it is. He's seen pictures of me overweight and said, I would totally bang overweight, Kristen. I don't (laughs) care. You're beautiful no matter what. But he's the first partner that I wasn't worried about. What if I gain all this weight back? What Mm -hmm. if my body does change again? And the freedom that a lot of people can gain from Mm -hmm. when you can really genuinely communicate both your desire for somebody, as well as tell your partner what you really need and want. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so freeing. And there's so much shit that just falls away. Yep. The headspace when you are just in that place of freedom and game changer. Yes. It really is. And kind of taking that to, um, the step, what I'm thinking of with like, um, sensate focus with partner. So a lot of it is right. Getting out of your own head and getting out of your own way and Mm -hmm. all of that. And so I think what's important about that is in thinking back to, um, just the basics of meditation. One of the things that we talk about in meditation is with groups. So group meditation, um, you are collectively engaging in the universal energy when you group meditate. Okay. So I'm going to get, I'm going to go woo woo real quick because Please that's, do. that's where I live. That's my space. Um, so when you are in a group meditation in a group setting, it's really important at the beginning to kind of establish sort of a feeling of safety, right. In a group meditation, because what is happening in a group meditation is as we all go inside, as we all go internal and clear out and start to, to do the work, Mm -hmm. all of that we are receiving and all that we are letting go is being circulated amongst our group, right? Because that's the universal energy. That's what we share with people. That's how we connect with people. That's, you know, when you see someone in a store and you're like, Oh, that person looks really nice or they're super friendly or things. That's what we're taking in from people without using words. Mm-hmm. That's their, just their energy. So taking that into a setting where you are working with your partner on sensate focus, you have to also take into consideration all of that too. So you're working with your partner together And you guys are exchanging this energy. And so that has to be a really safe space for you to do that. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. even involve touch yet, right? It's just sitting, maybe you're you're holding hands, maybe your legs are just touching. However it is that you are making that physical connection, physical connection, excuse me, know that there is also an energy connection that's happening as well. And if if I feel tense, I know my partner will feel that. Mm-hmm. If I feel a little bit like, Ooh, this is not for me right now. I'm kind of not into this. Like I know my partner will feel that. Mm-hmm. And so establishing that sort of, um, meditative space and relationship with a partner is super powerful too. So that way you can feel when your partner is either not 
not as into it as you are super or on the other end. And that can also establish how the rest of the time goes with one another. And really that's about just reading each other, knowing each other well enough like you, like you were talking about with your partners, just knowing each other well enough to be able to have that open communication, even if it's nonverbal mm-hmm. and just sharing of the space. And I think a lot of that comes with, you know, after you begin your meditative practice and understanding how it makes you feel and bringing sensation to your body and letting go of all of the superfluous stuff that's all in our head, we can ask our partner to participate with us or we can say or recommend to our partner like, Hey, I'm doing this. Maybe you should try to do this mm-hmm. too. And mm-hmm. then we can come together. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. A lot of people say like, well, do I need to get my partner into all of these things that I'm doing in order to be able for this to actually work? And I'm like, well, it kind of depends. Right. And usually the answer is like, whether or not you just want to feel better or you want right? in, in many ways, like, yeah. I mean, are they going to have to meditate with you every single day and do yoga as much as you do? Not necessarily, right. but maybe they helped you get to that place. Want to help them get to that place. So yeah, your, your partner can't just show up and you expect this to work. There's work for both of you mm-hmm. to do in this process. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the benefit is so much greater when you're both on board and open. I mean, that's true for anything. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, all the time that's true, but when you have, and that's, you know, that's the definition of partner, right? That's Mm -hmm. someone who will be on board with you to do, to go down these paths with you. That's the work with you. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done an eye gazing exercise? I don't think so. It's, it's something that I've recommended for people when they are, they know they need to have some of these deeper conversations like about this path or like the work needs to be done. And like, maybe they're kind of just starting off together on this, but an eye gazing exercise, you, you do just kind of look at your partner. It's not staring at your partner, but it's mm-hmm. gazing into their eyes and trying to project like what you're feeling in that moment of making that connection through eye contact. And you do also have some sort of physical contact, whether you're, you know, sitting in chairs and you're holding hands or touching each other's legs, or you're on the ground and maybe sort of, you know, sitting with your legs like wrapped around one another. It's about three to five minutes is what they recommend. I've watched couples do it in workshops before watching the roller coaster of emotion that you see like the happiness and then maybe some, sometimes like a, a sad moment or grief overcomes them. And then there's usually tears shed. Sometimes they're happy or sad tears. And then you see a recovery and it's like a whole thing, but it's an exercise I've recommended to couples to really connect before they get into some of these more intense conversations. Cause it can be an intense conversation to have your partner come in the room and be like, all right, we're going to talk about all the ways that I want to guide you to improve your touch with my body. That's the nice way to put it. The other way is like, I don't like the way you grab my tits and we need to talk mm-hmm. about it. So I'm like, yeah. So eye gazing can be a nice little exercise to guide people into sort of getting into that space where you aren't just telling the other person what you need. It is that energy exchange of like, okay, we need to work on this together. And here's some of the ways we can do it. So yeah, there's, sure. there's some, love that. there's some ways to do it, uh, that are explained on 
online, I found a, several different websites that have some very nice explanations, but mm, uh, of how to do it, but down. gave you the, the basics there. I love it. I'm always looking for new exercises to explore with, because that's another thing too, is right. You get into, into habits, into routines. Mm-hmm. And one day you wake up and you're like, I'm bored with this. <laughs> yes. I need, I need something new and exciting. Yes. Mine generally comes out and I tell my partner, I'm like, well, I change my hair every few months because if I didn't, then I would change my partner. So you're very lucky that I like to change. Ah! <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. And yeah, I think kind of the next thing to talk about is, you know, how, how do you kindly and effectively communicate with your partner about something's got to change with like, especially things like touch. Again, I use the example of having your breasts grabbed or fondled in a way that you you don't really like because our breasts are something that often change dramatically over our lifetimes, especially for women who have had children and that can alter their relationship with their breasts. It can alter the way that they like to be touched Um, even maybe when you were younger, you liked when he or she walked by and smacked your butt and now it's just annoying. And that's just not what you enjoy. You know, these are just some of the examples I can think of from client scenarios. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about folks who really do need and want some change when it comes to the touch they're experiencing and what, what they need in order to get into the experience. I think a big thing for me is with that is intention. Um, Really understanding the intention on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, A little earlier, we were discussing how, you know, at, with our breasts, for instance, Mm -hmm. how someone touches, grabs, um, grazes, whatever it is with them how we react to that or how it makes us feel is different. And I think the reason for that is the intention of the giver um, that we pick up on. So if I am, you know, just in the kitchen making dinner and my husband just decides to like come up and slap my ass, mm-hmm. I it may put me in a mood that is not, you know, I may just turn around and be like, you know what, you finished dinner. I <laughs> Something like that, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And, and that's because like his intention wasn't coming from a place of love. And I, I knew that it was just like bothersome and he knew I was busy and all of the things. And so it was, it was something that when I know his intention wasn't to be playful or to send a sensual sign or things like that, then I automatically get put on the defensive for it because I, a, I'm not ready for it. My intention is not there. I'm not in a receiving kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it was a bad thing necessarily, but it's also then, you know, you can at first, my reaction might be to just be like, forget you, I'm walking away, but really to come back around and circle to and be able to have that conversation, even if it's not right now to say like, what I thought you intended when you did that was to just to elicit a reaction that you got. If I'm wrong, then please explain to me what your intention actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I think that that is a, 
a big part of how we react to our partners is it, but that also comes with understanding right that comes with the shared space of understanding and connecting with your partner that you know them well enough to understand what their intentions are mm-hmm. because that's a really hard thing to say that i know you did this because like that's we don't really know that ever you know mm-hmm. we can't ever 100% be certain of that we know another person's intention we really can't right that's why brene brown and her the story i'm telling myself i am a big fan of using that to communicate like all right the story i'm telling myself is that you did that because you thought it was going to be funny and that you'd just get a laugh but uh you know that wasn't like what happened so i needed to you know was that really what your intent was or and they'll either confirm the story that you just told them or they'll say like no that wasn't my intent here's what i was trying to do Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a big, so my mother-in-law always, my husband's mother always tells me we're not mind readers Mm -hmm. and they're not mind readers because my husband and I, we, you know, we went through many years of not blissful (laughs) marriage Uh (laughs) Um, where I was like, this is the most foreign thing and one could ever do is be married. Why would I do this to myself? <laughs> so we went through a lot of that time, right? And still, I say that to myself still sometimes, but what- That's honest was, and I appreciate that. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, I think anyone who can, well, my, my parents might be able to sit and say like, this is the best thing I've ever done. But <laughs> otherwise, you know, I think that it's really hard to believe that all the time. So- she says, you know, we're not mind readers. They're not mind readers. And once you understand that and make that your reality, the easier everyone's life is going to be. And I think that that's part of that, um, intention, like understanding each other's intentions and stuff is saying, you know, I, I don't, I really don't know what your intention is, but this is what I'm gathering. Mm -hmm. And this is why it was not okay with me at the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Am I wrong? If so, please explain. And then I don't have to be a mind reader because we're having these conversations mm-hmm. um, and getting yourself into that space. And I think that, you know, kind of circling back to that sensate focus thing, like if you are able to do that with each other in a space where you're able to be with each other intimately without having touch, but just sharing literal space with each other, you're creating a connection that allows for intimacy in every part of your life. Yes. And I think that that is so cool, man. And like, if you can achieve that with your partner, um, even with, you know, like any relation, I don't, I think that that is important in all relationships to be able to be intimate with each other and not in the, in the physical sense, obviously, but, um, or if it is your jam, do it. But, um, it's, but it's intimacy stems from being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. And vulnerability is, I'm such a huge Brene Brown fan. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of my all time faves. I think I have her right behind me somewhere. There are times where I'm trying to tell clients about or friends about something she said in a book. I'm like, I don't remember which book it is because I've yeah, read like four or five. Dearly, I've read um, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, Power of Vulnerability. Um, what's the other I one? have Daring Greatly by my bed right now. It's like on my must read before the end of the year list, which probably won't happen, but 
there. Rising Strong. It's one of my favorites because that's about the man in the arena speech and mm-hmm. kind of the lessons about like the stories she's telling herself and also getting feedback and having honest communication. And just, again, her whole thing is that the, the basis for real relationships is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And those relationships can be our love relationships, our relationships with our family, our parents, our children. It could be with our colleagues um, or just that person that's on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that showing up and presenting yourself as you are and speaking your truth in a kind way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most vulnerable people are also the most boundaried people. Mm-hmm. So in this vein of talking about what you do enjoy and what does turn you on or off erotically, it is a very vulnerable moment to look at your partner and say, Hey, this thing, I would like you to do it differently. Or I'd like you to do it this way. You are setting up boundaries by saying those things. You're asking for something different and you don't know how that partner's going to react. And could they be defensive? Could they be hurt? Like, why didn't you tell me sooner? I would have made change. I'm so sorry. All the things. Or, or they may just like right away be like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So again, also a lot of partners don't understand the constant evolution of our bodies. And that while the way you pinched your nipples this way five years ago felt great, my body is different now that I have nursed a child. And so, yeah, it's important to, to try to set up the space correctly and do the work that we've talked about before you get into the actual conversation of, I want something different. And I think too, um, I would offer if anyone wants to try this meditation, just a guided meditation, a body check-in, mm-hmm. and that's really all it is. Um, to play, I'm happy to do that with people. I How long of a meditation have you developed here to help people with this? It's usually about eight minutes. Mm -hmm. It just depends on when I do it with people. It depends on if like we're starting, like really taking a lot of time at the beginning with just like focusing on our breath. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on the person really, truly of like, (laughs) I get a lot of times like, okay, wait, am I doing this right? And like, we have to stop. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, you're, you're doing it. And that's right. Period. Like there's no, there's no, am I doing it right? It's just, you're doing, and that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so that's what holds a lot of people back. They're so worried about if they're doing it right or wrong. And it's so not about that. It, as you put it, well, it is just about, just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do the thing. Just give it a shot. Absolutely. And everyone's so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, if, if anyone is ever interested in any, um, any of that guided meditation, like a group meditation or something, we can do that as well. Because I think that, I think it's so important to just even give yourself the time to connect with your body. And especially if you've never done it before, or if it's been years since you've done it, always coming back to, and I like to practice it all the time. I like, I practice it at least once a week of just checking in. I'll just lay on the floor here in my office and be like, start my breath at the top and work down to the bottom just so I can reconnect with myself because being on the computer all the time right now or um, this virtual world that we're living in everything's through email and things like that like sometimes I have to be like am I real like am I still (laughs) am I still a real person or am Uh I just Just someone behind a screen yeah 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, I think it's really important just to help you kind of come back to your center. Yeah, absolutely. You brought up something I think is a really important point for people to, to think about right now. Again, I've mentioned earlier how so many of us are at home with our partners all the time. And then that leads to some, you're not, you're not being intentional always with the time that you do have with the partner. Maybe you're not shutting work off because it's literally going from one room to the room next to it when you're done having five to 10 minutes to practice a meditation before you leave your office or after you leave your office, go to your room and, and meditate before you then go do something with your partner. Do something that breaks it up so that you are sort of segmenting things yeah. so that you can show up and be way more intentional with your partner, that it's not just all blurring together. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, what's... <laughs> having a seven and a five-year-old, what's really cool about the meditation practice, doing it together, or I really want to try this, um, eye gazing exercise too, is I can find something for my kids to do for five to 10 minutes that I know I at least have five to 10 minutes before it's like they forgot I was in the room or, or that I wasn't in the room, excuse me, mm-hmm. or they forgot that they were really hungry all of a sudden. So I know that I can at least get five to 10 minutes. And oftentimes I find that that's a really disappointing thing for me to say, like, we only have five to 10 minutes to do an, a physically intimate act. And like, that gets me really down. But if I say like, we, we have five to 10 minutes, let's go like try this new eye gazing exercise or like we have five or 10 minutes, let's go meditate um, or like pull a tarot card or let's go hold hands or, or like hug or, you know, just, let's just lay in bed and cuddle. Let's just like spoon for a minute and yeah. just like <sighs> deep breath yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Or even take a nap together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you never know. Well, speaking of tarot, I'd love to do a reading here for you. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to cut the deck here for you. Oh, I love it. And you drew the four of fire. So um, I'm able to hold it up here for her on Zoom to see, but can you describe what you see here on the card for me? I see a woman. Let me see. Yeah. I'll kind of go like, I'll kind of go like this so you can. Yep. I see a woman pushed up against a sink. It looks like a bathroom sink. And there is a man grasping her thighs in between just really enjoying from the looks of it mm-hmm. going down on her going down mm-hmm. and her yep. top. I love her. Top. Look, I love her top. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's open, just kind of hanging off of her shoulders. Close. Yeah. Yeah. This like throws of passion. It's kind yeah. of what's here. Like they just, she just had to have it. He just had to have her that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And her head is just like back and her lips are puckered. Like she's just in it. Yeah. So in my deck, the fire suit corresponds to wands, which is about the sense of taste and the creative and passionate sphere. Fire controls creativity, desire, and ambition and their satisfaction. It's also that area of our being which seeks the perverse or transgression. Mm-hmm. So the four of fire being uh, about agreement, harmony, and intimacy. It's about Venus in Aries, the need to love or manipulate money with authority. 
Mm-hmm. It's my second money card of the day. Really? Ah. Yeah, I pulled a money card this morning. I'll have to do an oracle reading for myself later and see what I end up with. Yeah, I got a queen of pentacles who's mm. like the financial boss babe of that. Yes, she room. is. <laughs> yeah, so money with authority, maybe that means a stimulus check. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, did any, anything else in there resonate with you? Now, I, well, I love the agreement, harmony, and intimacy of the four. I think that that was exactly what we were talking about throughout Absolutely. this whole conversation is just like creating harmony through that intimacy and, you know, agreement is obviously everybody has to be on board, right? So yes. I think that really, really speaks well to what our conversation was about. Absolutely. Sometimes it shocks me how well the card corresponds to things that we've talked about on the show for the day. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love magic. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Well, I definitely want my listeners to be able to get a hold of you, whether it's, of course, for that guided meditation that you mentioned. Of course, I know you've got like other ones and projects you're working on. So, how do the people find you, get a hold of you, get you for services? Yeah, thanks. Um, so my website is mysunandmoon.com, but sun is S-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, so mysunandmoon.com. And on my website, I have all my contact information. Um, my Instagram is also at mysunandmoon underscore KC. Um, so I post a lot there about upcoming things. I post my podcast episodes as they come out on that as well. So those are the two best places to kind of access all my information and get in contact with me through those. Very good. And what's your podcast called? My podcast is called Portable Magic Meditations and Conversations. Oh, I love that. Because one of my favorite books and movies is Practical Magic. Yes. So Portable Magic is actually a quote from Stephen King. Um, He says that books are indeed portable magic. And to me, that's one of the things I'm a big learner as we Mm -hmm. spoke about in the beginning. And so to me, that really spoke to what I was trying to do was to create something that people could take with them wherever they were. I love it. I love it. What platforms can people find your podcast on? I am on all platforms. I am, um, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you can access it from there. Perfect. Yeah. If you're listening to my show, you can find her show on the same platform. So yes, absolutely. Well, Gigi, again, thank you so much for being on Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching today. It's been a real pleasure walking through some of the processes for Sensate Focus with you, some of the concepts. So thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I wish you all the best. Stay healthy, stay safe in 2021. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the dirty bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. 
send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.